This program is supported by Jewish Family Services. Jewish Family Services is a leading provider of social services in greater Milwaukee for individuals, families, and children of every age, race, religion, income, or lifestyle. The 411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of world, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411 Live. You cannot predict what life will throw at you. The curveballs. And you can't predict how you will react to them. For example, there are many adults who are still dealing with childhood trauma. Then you throw in the mix sexual assault, uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, witnessing something very traumatic. And children are not immune. Children experience trauma as well. Sometimes you really need professional help to help you get through it. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Today, we're talking about community-based mental health and an organization that provides it, Jewish Family Services. I have two wonderful guests who are joining me today. And first of all, there is Patrice Macbeth, who is a trauma-informed therapist, and Erin Heffernan, a family and child therapist. Thank you both for joining me. And you are both with Jewish Family Services. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess where I want to start is... Um, Let's establish who your clients are and where you're seeing them. I'll start with you, Patrice. Well, I am based in a Jewish Family Services building as well as Sojourner, Sojourner Family Peace Center. Mm-hmm. So we uh, do a collaboration with the, uh, the shelter to serve the, uh, the residents that, that live in the shelter that have uh, suffered from domestic violence as well as their children. And I also have outpatient and Jewish Family Services as well. Okay. Aaron? Uh, I mostly work with kids. Um, so uh, being a, a, mostly a child therapist, that means I also do a lot of family work. Uh, I'm actually in, uh, in four different clinics, um, two school-based uh, clinics, one in the Sherman Park uh, uh, area, Central City Cyber School, uh, as well as uh, in the Brown Deer uh, School District Um so in addition to that, I'm also into uh, outpatient clinics. Uh, Jewish Family Services has a low-income uh, uh, housing unit called Bradley Crossing, uh, about a mile away from Brown Deer Schools. Um, that also has a counseling clinic there. And then I'm also downtown uh, at the outpatient clinic there. Okay. I'm just wondering, how, how did you guys handle, uh, we're still in the midst of it, but, you know, the pandemic? How did that change things, or how did you have to pivot to, you know, take care of your clients during a pandemic? We really had to be creative with how we handled things and did things. So a lot of our services, especially with me being in the shelter, um, we could no longer go in the shelter for some months until I think maybe I went back in in February. Mm-hmm. But um, we had to offer virtual services, so services through phone and um, telehealth. Okay. Yeah, pretty much overnight, our clinic had to um, adapt to to remote therapy. Um, really didn't experience a loss of clientele. Um, uh, it was a little difficult keeping the school-based um, clients going and, and switching over to remote because and the schools were really associated with the building. 
Um, but uh, yeah, pretty much in a matter of 48 hours, our entire clinic went to went to virtual uh, and and stayed quite busy throughout uh, the lockdown. I'm just wondering what that looks like for you. I, both of you probably deal with really young children, but I'm just wondering, you know, you got a two, a three-year-old or something like that, four. How does that work, teleconferencing or on the phone with those little ones? Oh, it's a challenge. So you really need parent involvement. I did have a three-year-old, and her mom was really involved, so she stayed right there uh, whenever we did sessions. But it was really difficult because she was used to coming in and being in the playroom where she was able to play out what she was experiencing. And then sometimes having parents in the space, children won't open up the way they normally would. Mm -hmm. So I know I found myself doing a lot of teaching or coaching parents how to interact with their children during this time. I know that, uh, were you about to say something? I totally agree with Patrice. With younger children, it's it's a really unique challenge keeping them engaged, but it does offer this opportunity to be in their home and, and be in their sort of natural milieu. Um, adolescents and teenagers, some a lot of them are really used to screens. Um, and, you know, as long as parent knows you're seeing the kid and there's all, you know, consent and there's understanding if the parent can't be in the session, um, again, it hasn't been ideal having to move mm-hmm. to virtual, but um, it's allowed us to continue services and, 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 and reach people where they're at. Right. You know, I talk about talking about these really young children, and some people might be wondering, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, why do they need therapy? But things happen with these really young children. A lot of people think, well, it happened, but they're so resilient that, you know, it, it, it won't matter. They won't remember. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Right. I mean, um, with, with very young children, you're, you're never working with just the child. It's the family system. So, um, you know, a, a, a two-year-old being referred for sort of outpatient psychotherapy um, isn't, isn't as common. What you're doing is you're serving the family system. And so it, it always in, it requires parent involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the work is, is parent support and parent consultation. And, and often um, it, um, dynamics of how the parent was parented come up. And then the parent has an option to, to then seek a referral for their own um, therapy um, as it impacts them as a, as a parent. Um, that's, the, that's the benefit of working on in community-based mental health and on a treatment team is we'll often, you know, work as a team with a family. You know, I'll work with dad, you work with fourth grader, and then we can consult together um, as clinicians. Um, that works. It's like a wraparound kind of kind of thing. Exactly, yes. embracing the whole family. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. I like that. Um, it's one of the things that I know. I really want to focus on the children. And again, we're talking about as they get a little bit older. And lay people, when children face traumatic things, a lay person might say you know, tell me about it. They want to get right into it. Let me hear what what happened. Tell me. But that might not be helpful. Am I on the right track or no? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you're on the right track. Yes. It's a great question. Uh uh, Well, um, yeah, and I think that's natural because words have a way of containing emotion. Mm -hmm. Words have a way of, of making things concrete 
and, and giving us a sense that things can be manageable. So I think it's natural um, for, for, for adults to sort of do that. Tell, you, you know, we, we tell kids all the time, use your words. Mm-hmm. We want kids to be able to verbalize um, the stuff inside. The problem is that, that or the challenge is that you're, that you're pointing out is that um, traumatic experiences don't lend themselves too, too readily to verbalization. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's brain studies that show that traumatic memories don't get stored in the verbal parts of the, of the, of the brain. Um, and so it's like what Patrice is talking about. It's play and art and the language of children that that typically serves that purpose for ventilating or processing or working through um, experiences that um, are often escape words. Um, and yeah. if you throw, I'm sorry, last thing, if you throw in child development, you know, kids don't have um, typically the, the subtlety with the emotional vocabulary um, that grownups have. Um, so we have to speak the language of children, which is typically play yeah. um, and other expressive modalities besides verbal. Patrice, I think this is a good time to bring in your example of your daughter. Yes. Because I, I love this story, and it really exemplifies what we're talking about. Exactly. And uh, exactly what Aaron was saying, like children don't have the words to express what they have experienced. And as we talked about before, my, uh, my daughter turned five. We were in a bad car accident. We were rear-ended by an armor truck, wow. and that scared my daughter. She was unable to, like, make a complete car ride home. And I noticed that there were plenty of issues, and so I took her in for therapy to um, um, have play therapy. And throughout her times going, she kept, like, getting a car, tucking all the babies into the car, making sure they all had their seatbelts on. Now, this is with her dolls? It was, like, with the doll house. So she would go through the whole thing of us, like, but mimicking what we do in the morning, mm-hmm. getting ready, leaving the house, entering the car, putting on the seatbelt, getting in the car, and going from one location to the other. And in the middle, there would be a crash. Mm. So she had to continue to play that out until she it processed for her. And then she switched over to the sand tray, and then she was able to express the emotions because she would always bury all of the the um, characters. And so she was showing that she felt sunken and wow. that she was afraid. And it was like beautiful work to me. And um, that's what really made me interested in more so in becoming a therapist and learning some child play therapy Mm -hmm. um, things because I saw then really with my own eyes and I saw that kids have to process through play it's not going to always come through words yeah so it was just beautiful and now you know she's fine she's able to ride in the back of the truck Mm -hmm. you know so she's good you know but she needed that extra help but sometimes we look over what children experience like for me I was fine coming out of it Mm -hmm. a little sore not afraid, but she was afraid. Now, if I would have probably negated the fact that she was in this car too and it impacted her, it could have probably made more her become more anxious around other things in life. Wow. Wow. That is good. That is good. And Erin, speaking of stories, you told me the one about the little boy who was like five I think going through this pandemic sure this yeah um, this is in our school-based clinic um, and I think really speaks to how far schools have come in terms of being trauma-informed and the way that you know social emotional learning 
curricula have really um, become part of, co- you know, sort of common practice in schools. This is um, right as one of the schools was reopening. So it's like April. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the schools are doing the best they can to get, to get kids back, keep their masks on, and, and sort of just reintegrate in preparation for the fall um, and dealing with, you know, another wave of uncertainty, which is now coming back into the schools right. and not being in virtual, right? Uh, so I got a call from a first grade teacher while I was at the school, um, but a little boy um, that the school already knew had had lost a, a, a primary caregiver before the pandemic. Um, and boy was um, walking around, taking his mask off, saying, I, I want to get sick. I don't want to mm-hmm. live. I, d- I don't want to be here. Um, and uh, spoke to teacher and um, a school administrator uh, who found out that um, there was a very important elder in the family who had passed of COVID um, the week that school started. Oh, wow. um, and so um, throw in um, multiple moves during the pandemic um, and, um, you know, uh, just some other situational stressors. Um, the school got it. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a punitive approach. It was a very trauma-informed understanding. So I came up and, and, and met this little boy. And, um, something I brought, it's my little prop, um, something I carry around my neck is a pulse oximeter. This is what nurses all know. It's, right. It measures your heart rate and your blood oxygen content. Put your little finger in there. You, exactly. Yeah. You stick your finger in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about something hanging around your neck that children just want to know about. So... Um, <laughs> So uh, his heart rate was was a healthy, you know, variable rate, sometimes 89, sometimes 99, and, and kind of healthy, and it reached 100. And he said, um, um, he looked, he's really looking at his heart rate. And, you know, he had been upset, but was really calming down, looking at this thing and mm-hmm. uh, being, in, being in close proximity to, to me. Uh, and we had our masks on. And, uh, and he said, it reached 100. I said, yes, it did. And he looked up at me with big eyes. And he said, does that mean I'm happy? Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> I said, you sure look happy. It means your heart's happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, um, I, I think we, we, we approach this work with the fundamental belief um, that children are oriented towards health. And, and humans are. And that the job of therapy is to create an environment to allow that health to come forward. Right. Um, and we also don't sweep under the rug the fact that negative experience, overwhelming experiences, um, have a way of of uh, getting stuck um, in in within within the body, within the mind, um, and difficult memories aren't typically worked through in the way that neutral memories are, um, and so. Again, like Patrice says, it's about knowing how to play. It's about knowing how to speak the language of children. And maybe to remind adults that they can and perhaps should remember to play, too. I mean, adults like words. It's what we know. It's how we do our lives. Um, But it's good and important for adults to know how to get on the floor uh, and get their hands in the sand tray um, and be alongside that kid while they're showing the car crash to allow them to work through, oh, there's also a flower here. There's also these other positive things that feel good. You know, it's interesting, as you were saying that, it made me think of, I used to like this show, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was something about a nanny, professional nanny or something, and she would come to the family and help 
worked out, work out their family issues and stuff like that. And a lot of times you see that within that family dynamic, the parents don't play with the kids. You know, it's always we've got to do this, we've got to get the meal on, we got to we got to go to soccer practice, practice, we got to, you know, do 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 do. But they don't play with the kids. So that what you just said yeah, and it's not on parents. I mean, there's not, I mean, parents are doing the best they can. Right. And sometimes, and I know the show you're talking mm-hmm. about, I think what that show would really, would really portray was structure and rules, expectations and consequences in a chart that's written down. And I think that's effective and works well on a TV show. Um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, usually this, the stress of modern living makes it tough for adults to know how to fit in time for play. Right. Uh, and switch switch out of dinner preparation and laundry folding to know to, to take time to get on the floor or to get creative mm-hmm. with laundry and dinner prepped in a way that's playful. It's very hard. I mean, parents are under under a lot yeah, uh, of pressure. So the last thing we want to do is saying you're being a bad parent because you're not being playful enough, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's like just keeping it on the radar that that's. That should be fit in the schedule, too, Yeah, the kids need that. <clears throat> and I agree with Aaron. Like, even with finding ways to weave them into, mm. like, meal prep or folding laundry. Because I used to play with my daughter with folding sheets, you know. But we would get it done, but it wouldn't always be perfect. But, you know, just weaving that into, like, including them and not just having them play in, in a corner somewhere. Right. That's play. That's mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. And they love doing things that adults do. So that, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good. Okay. We're going to continue talking about this, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Hey, boss. Okay. You said I'm fine. Hey, son. Hey, Bob. You know you can talk to me. Yeah. Worried about your friend, but don't know how to reach out? You can say how are you or get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You can chat with them in VR. It's all good if you think you should check in. Yeah, you should. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheAwkward.org. And we're back with a 411 Live talking to Patrice Macbeth and Aaron Heffernan, and they are therapists. Um, a lot of their focus dealing with children, and that's kind of what we're, we're focused on today, too. And I was thinking about the pandemic and all that it has done as far as mental health, and I was thinking in terms of domestic violence. Um, we've had a lot of incidents. There have been homicides. There have been, you know, physical abuse. It seems like it has risen to the top, or maybe we're just seeing it more. I don't know. Um, and a lot of it is affecting children. In the news, we've got children who have been hurt and children who have been killed. Mm-hmm. So what is going on with this? I think um, right now, because everyone's been in isolation, 
um, we really not where our eyes aren't isn't on it the way it was before because kids were coming to school, and so we could see their bruises and possibly report. Um, but during the pandemic, you know, it was virtual learning, so kids were in homes and possibly being abused. Domestic people were home with their abusers, so there was no escape. No, you know, if you had a job where you went out mm -hmm. and now your work was virtual, now you're more susceptible to spending 24 hours in the home where you're being abused and there's no reprieve, there's nowhere to go. And of course, like even us, we're all on high alert, you know, or more irritable. And so people are just, um, just have less patience and more, more, more and more things are happening, you know, that we're as, like you said, we're seeing in the news. Yeah, and I was thinking if, if uh, say, in this scenario, a mother is trying to get away from her partner and she has children and she's thinking, I got to get out of here. But during the pandemic, isolation, lockdown, all that kind of stuff, where do you go? You know, I'm sure that that was, a, was an issue as well. Right, because then shelters are full. So it's uh, either you're on the street or... You find a family friend, but if he knows or your abuser knows where your people live, then. Yeah. And know. there could be people reluctant to take you in because they're thinking of COVID. Yes. So it's just snowballing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that it seems like there are some positives from the pandemic. People are talking more about mental health. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and child mental health, too. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's speaking to a, a, a widespread collective need because there's widespread collective grief um, or, uh, and over what's been lost. Loss of life, loss of routine, loss of job, loss of, 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 a, of a life we all used to know. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you scroll down just once on your Apple News feed and it's seven tips for handling anxiety. Yes, I've seen uh, Seven tips for better sleep, um, um, handling grief. So, so, yeah, people are talking about it more because I think there's people are, are, are coping with widespread grief and uncertainty. Um, and uncertainty drives strong emotion. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's one, one positive side. Another positive side was what a, a father said to me um, uh, early on in lockdown. So schools were locked down. This is a kid I was seeing uh, in school as a single dad. And he said, you know, um, I've never had this many meals at home with my daughter mm. as I do now. He says, um, you know, I'll be okay financially, but I'm, I'm off the grind. And I've never talked this much with her before. And... <laughs> The focus of the of the school based therapy for her was mostly peer related, and teacher related. All those things went away. She was home with her daddy, and yeah. and she was doing better. Um, and and some of our other colleagues who work with chronically mentally ill adults who have severe social anxiety, mm -hmm. I don't know if they would say they were thriving during lockdown, but I think there was a sense of feeling understood, um, and that it almost sort of. Um, there was a leveling mm -hmm. <laughs> um, of you know everyone who was busy and and out in the world now now also being home, um, and 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 a sense from our colleagues that you know they're they're 
clients with chronically mental, chronic mental illness were, were feeling a little more understood. And I was about to say, did I feel a little validated? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The challenge now is, is that the world's reopening again. Yes. Um, and so one young man I work with is, has, was very comfortable being, being home all day and, and, and the stress of going out to work again and, and being in a social environment again has brought up the next set of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, you work with school, school-aged kids, uh, and you see them too. Those teenagers, we talk about the little ones, those teenagers who need some help in maneuvering, they come to you. They know that, you know, they're yelling at the teacher or, or different things are happening, and maybe they don't understand why. I don't know. But how do you reach them? Because they're not automatically telling you. What do you do? Get on their level. Mm-hmm. You know, meet them where they're at. And, you know, non-judgmental. Yeah. Come with a non-judgmental approach and validation and letting them know that that um, they are being heard, you know. And so that's very important for them because sometimes they just want to be heard. And you told me a, a trick that you have. Too. Well, yeah, I mean, but just um, being interested in in what's working for them, and it might be something that you're not interested in or don't like. Um, but yeah, uh, showing an interest in a kid's playlist and sitting with them while they're playing their playlist for you um, might mean that we have to take time to do that. And, and as Patrice says, getting on their level, literally getting down on, on a young child's level, um, requires us kind of tapping into our own adolescent self or our own little child self and, and, um, and, and being interest, interested in what they're doing or at least trying. Yeah. Um, uh, but that takes time and that takes a slowness. Uh, one thing that I'd see these two brothers um, for therapy online and the word therapy or counseling doesn't really land for them. So we we call it slow time. Um, what are we going to do for slow time? So we, we draw slow or the cat comes in and we talk to the cat. You, you slow time down. Oh, wow. And, and stuff comes up uh, when it's slow time. <laughs> so it seems like listening to the two of you, it's going at the pace of your clients. Yes. You know, whether adults or children, you go at their pace. You wait for them to want to talk about whatever, you know, the trauma that's going on. Absolutely. But you got to build that trust. And this is kind of like, like in therapy school, this is like therapy 101, mm-hmm. active listening, um, mm-hmm. you know, being a good interviewer <laughs> um, and, and being, being attuned and present and all, also knowing when to stay out of the way. Yeah. And, and really giving a kid a sense that they know they're being heard. Mm-hmm. And it, you're absolutely right. It's about pacing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And with those young kids, you were talking about the things that you went with, your daughter went through to get over that car accident. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about play. That play, that drawing, that's important. So... I guess parents or therapists have to be patient to see what comes out of that. Absolutely. Because they're your clues. Yes. 
Am I getting that right? Yes. <laughs> and I like um, what we, we were just talking about with pacing because it is like you come in sometimes, like you said, therapy one-on-one when you're in school. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you have to get certain paperwork completed. But what I've learned how to do is just not have my agenda. <clears throat> Let them guide the way therapy is going. But, of course, like I'm in there, I'm the guide. But I'm still staying on pace, but allowing them to utilize the time the way they need to utilize the time. And that's very important. And like you said, just even um, we talked a lot about getting on their level and using other modalities or different things like coloring sheets, Mm -hmm. playing games. I found when I'm playing games in sessions with youth, I get more talk out of them. When I work with little boys, if they have monster trucks and they're on the floor with their backs turned to me, not giving me any eye contact, I get way more out of them. Or if we're going to shoot the ball somewhere or going for a walk, Mm -hmm. processing, they're processing more. Sometimes you process a lot more movement. Ah, that's good. And and then like a suggestion I would give to parents who are, I mean, you don't need to be a therapist to, to look at your kids' drawings. But the, the, the suggestion I would make to parents is not to pressurize yourself with interpreting. Oh, this tree must mean you're upset. You know, to, to, That's good. Again, to stay out of the way and show interest. It's funny. Kids spend time on these drawings. And for I've never met a kid that doesn't um, think their drawings are super important. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and they could have spent two seconds on them, some scribble. But if you lose that drawing yeah. or, or throw it away and they find out, mm-hmm. They might not care about it anymore, but if you have discarded their creation, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So you might get a big cluttered stack of drawings, right. and that's okay. And um, to, to not put too much pressure on yourself, whether it's in play or in art, with it, just to be curious and, and, and open. And be curious about what it means to the kid. Yeah. Curious what this green cloud means. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not overinterpret with your adult analysis on it. Um, what does this mean to, to you? Yeah. So, and those questions. I, I think I like talking yeah. to you about questions that you that are good to ask. And I always go in. I wonder. I wonder what this. What's happening here? Or like if we're playing in the sand table. And let me tell you, the sand table is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> when they're playing in the sand table, I don't like. Aaron was just saying. I don't try to interpret. I go in and like. I wonder. I wonder what's happening with here. I wonder who that is. And they'll kind of start talking about it. Or if they don't, they won't. You mm-hmm. know. But not pushing. Yeah. Because when you push, they normally pull back and you get nothing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, we are pretty much out of time. I could talk to you guys for another 30 minutes. Uh, But people who are listening to us and they're thinking, you know, I think my kid would benefit from this or I would benefit from this. What can they do in terms of contacting Jewish Family Services? Well, the, the main number of Jewish Family Services you can always call. We have a receptionist there who can help with, with referrals. Um, Jewish Family Services number is 414-390-5800. Um, we also have a fantastic resource in Children's Hospital, uh, Child and Adolescent Behavioral Health. Um, can be contacted for um, therapy, um, psychological testing, um, medication. Um, I would also encourage um, parents, I mean, that the, there's not enough child therapists in this in this country. Our behavioral health workforce is really stretched. Yeah. Um, and so you're looking at wait lists in most places. However, um, 
I would encourage parents to call their insurance companies. They are often really dialed into who has openings. Um, and to get your kid on a waiting list. You might be told it, it could be a wait, but things things change and things things sometimes open up. Um, so it's worth getting on a waiting list, I think, but also contacting your insurance company. Yeah, good idea. And if it doesn't work the first time, try again. Don't yeah. stop. If you need it, keep trying. Schools are also a great place. Maybe you can't get an actual uh, licensed clinician, um, but, you know, support staff at schools do a lot of great school-based therapeutics that uh, work. Uh, your school social workers, guidance counselors, school psychologists um, all do similar work with us as, as Patrice and I. Um, they don't do diagnosis per se, and it's more educationally focused, but they're all trauma-informed. Okay. And I know it's, it's Jewish Family Services, but you serve... Everybody. Yes. Regardless right? of religion. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Absolutely. So I just want to make that clear as well. You guys, thank you so much for coming. This has been interesting, uh, interesting conversation. And I hope that it will help a lot of people, get people thinking, especially parents, on uh, different ways to deal with their children, play with their children. So that's always a good thing. So we have Patrice Macbeth, a uh, trauma-informed therapist, and Erin Heffernan, a child and family therapist from Jewish Family Services. Thank you again for coming. Thanks for having us. And thank, thank you. you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. Remember, we are a nonprofit organization, so if you're so inclined to contribute or donate or help us in any way, go to our website, 411live.org. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.